This last Sunday of 2010, we're very privileged to come back again to God's Word in the book of First Peter, and I think it's very apt that we've arrived at the little passage that we're at, at this time of year. And so again, I haven't done this on purpose, this is what God has done as we've been working through the book, and I'm always amazed at that. I mean, the first three words of what we're going to look at today is to sum up. Well, that's great, because we're at the sum up stage of the year, aren't we? And um, so, thank you, Lord, for your guidance here. But I just pray, and I have been praying, that what we go through today won't just be words from the front here, but that this will be a spiritual exercise, that as we look at God's Word, we will have open hearts and attentive ears to hear what God is saying to us. And so I've deliberately not put an overhead today. It's not because it's holidays and I didn't want to do it. It's because I want us to look at God's Word and to see what He's saying to us. Because so often we get into automatic pilot and we kind of look up there and we're not looking to see what God is actually saying in His Word to us. So see it coming from God's Word today. That's what I want you to do. So as we get to this passage today, First Peter, the letter of First Peter, chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 8 to 12 together. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. And I'll read to you from the ESV version. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We've come to the summary stage of what the Apostle Peter has been saying in his letter from chapter 1 through to the end of the passage here, verse 7 of chapter 3. And what he does here is he just stands still for a little while and then he says, right, let's just sum up where we've been. And then from here on again, he's giving us even more practical application. There's, there's no, it's all black and white here. You can't get confused with what he's saying. He's being so straight and practical. And so he says, let's sum up. What has God done for us? We're coming to this passage and God has told us to live lives, holy lives before Him. We saw in chapter 1, verse 1, and in verse 13, that we are to live lives with minds, hearts, and hope fixed on the grace to be found in Jesus Christ. That is what our lives are to be fixed in. His grace. Not in the changeables of life around us. And you've had a year now, 2010, and I'm sure you've experienced a life of changes. Things have changed this year. In some other way, you've experienced changes. 
And he said to us, don't fix your hope on life around you and on things that change, but fix your hope, fix your heart and your mind on someone who doesn't change. Fix your hope on the Lord Jesus Christ. He stays the same forever. The Apostle called us to set our spiritual lives, to have spiritual lives that crave for and feed on God's Word. And we've really tried to concentrate this year on God's Word and what is it saying to us. And the Apostle's been calling us to that through this, these passages. And as a result of that, as this, this Word works out in our lives, we have to live lives of obedience before God. That's what He calls us to. Live obedient lives. Lives which are obedient to the Word that has been revealed to you. The Apostle called us to live lives that acknowledge that we are in Christ. And not just we are not just in Christ. Here's the amazing thing. Christ is in us. That's the amazing thing. And so therefore we can confidently proclaim His excellencies. Why can we proclaim the excellencies of Christ? Because He is in us and we are in Him. And therefore we've got this relationship with Him and we can tell others, we can advertise that He has done all this in us. And by living obedient lives, our lives advertise that fact too. That God is at work in people like you and me. And then the Apostle challenged us to live lives that are submitted firstly to Christ and then to all those human institutions that He has brought about on this earth. So we are to be admitted first to Christ in our lives. That means in our daily lives we are to have a relationship that is submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord of my life and with His Word before me as my guidance in life. And I am submitted to that and I want to live that life. And then, in submission to Jesus Christ first, I then go and submit myself to those institutions He has put here on this earth to bring good order about. That is the government we looked at, marriage, and the social authorities that we end up working in. For example, students in schools, towards teachers, etc., etc., and so you see, there's the challenge of these passages we've been looking at. That if we live submitted and obedient lives, they will shout out the glory of God to a watching world. And they are watching us. They will shout out the glory of God. And the question to you and I that we've been challenged with is, are we living such lives that the world sees us and they take, it, they take note? They pay attention. Because here is someone who is different. And as we said yesterday as well, inside of us there's this emptiness that is God-shaped and God-sized. We cannot fill it with anything or anyone else but the Lord Jesus Christ. There will always be an emptiness in the human being if they do not have God in their lives. And when they look at us, are they pointed to that God who can fill them? That is the question to you and I. And it's been a real challenge on my life. And I'm the pastor at the church here. It's been a real challenge on my life. Am I living an obedient life in everything that God calls me to? And this morning we come to this passage, verse 8, where he says now, to sum up, he says now, everything that we've learned up to here, I want you now to apply to each other as believers as well. 
in the Christian church. He's speaking to us in the Christian church here. So it's Wanganui East Baptist Church this morning. He's saying to us now, to sum up, live such lives towards each other as well. That means to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Lives that are submitted firstly to Christ and then to each other. You see, it's come home now. It's come home to us. He says, be harmonious, be sympathetic, be brotherly, be kind-hearted and be humble in spirit. Now, we're going to look at each of these five characteristics that the Apostle Peter is calling us to. Adjectives that describe how we are to live towards each other. And I want you really to, and, and honestly to evaluate your own life before God's Word today. Not before what I'm saying, before what God's Word is saying to you in His Word today. The first thing he calls us to is be harmonious. Now, you know, before we can start looking at harmony, we've got to ask ourselves, so where does this all come from? Are these just random characteristics he's pulled up? Well, we see that they are all based on something far greater. These five characteristics we're going to be looking at are like the five fingers of a hand. And at the center of the hand is the grace, love and compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these characteristics must radiate out from there. You cannot do this without the love, the grace and the sorry, the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot live up to these characteristics. And so the question I ask you as well, whether you've been coming to this church for sixty five years or a hundred or just six days, are you based in the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, this is all going to be just rules that you're trying to keep. It must be done from the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the Lord calls us this morning to firstly, as a church, be harmonious. Literally, be of one mind, is what it means there. Let's turn to the book of John. John chapter 17, if you could. We're going to just flick to a few passages this morning. John chapter 17, and verse 20. Where does the Apostle Peter get all this from? You see, he's getting it from God's Word. He's putting it all together for us. John chapter 17, verse 20. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, he's speaking to about his disciples, but for those who believe in me through their Word. So that's the rest of us believers who've come to believe God's Word that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them, even as you have loved me. So what is Jesus calling us to there, from his own words? He's calling us to unity. As him and the Father are one, he's calling us to unity. In in other words, to model the same thing. And that's a unity in attitude and behavior, not necessarily in opinion. We're not all called to be little robots, all thinking the same, bitty bitty, and all saying the same thing, all right? 
We are called to be one in attitude and behavior, not necessarily in opinion. Opinions will differ, but then we go about seeking unity from those differing opinions. You see, he's calling us to unity, not uniformity. There's a difference between the two. Unity and uniformity. We are called to unity. In other words, cooperation in the midst of diversity. We are all very different. Just look around you. We are all very different. But God calls us to be one in Christ. We are to have the mind of Christ. Flick with me to Philippians chapter 2, please. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Now ask yourself, in the light of God's word, am I like this this morning? Am I like this? Look at his word. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. What is that attitude? Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. What did Christ do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death. On a cross. You see, we are are called this morning by the Apostle to have the mind of Christ, to be unified, to be harmonious in the church. And the question is do you and I measure up? And I include myself there. And I have to say to you, I've failed in this many times this year because I am hard hearted and I want to have my way. And I know the Lord is still working on me. Is He working on you too? The Lord calls us to be harmonious. The second thing He calls us to be is to be sympathetic. That means we to have a readiness to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those that weep, says Romans 12:15. How real is your sympathy today? When you hear of people going through hard times in this church, is it just, tut, tut, dear, dear, and you don't actually do anything about it? How practical is your and my sympathy to others around us? Do we actually do something? Do we put an arm around someone when we know they're going through a hard time? Do we bake for them? Do we get around them, do jobs for them so that that pressure can be off them as well? Is our sympathy practical or is it just in our heads? Thirdly, he calls us to be brotherly. And ladies, brotherly means you too, okay? Sisterly, all right? He says, love each other as brothers. What do brothers and sisters supposedly do for each other? And I know we all come from brothers and sister families, alright? And I see some squirming now. What are we supposed to do for each other? Blood is thicker than water, isn't it? It's the old saying. We are supposed to be there for each other when the going's tough. But you know, sometimes we make it tough for each other. Isn't that what it's like? And that's what it's like in a church situation too. Yes, sometimes we are the toughest people to get on with each other. But we are called by God's word to be there for each other, to support each other when the going is tough, to get round each other. Are we doing that as Wanganui's Baptist Church? That is what the Apostle is saying to us as we come to the end of this year. You see, the world wants, for so many years now, the world has been wanting a universal brotherhood of man. You've all heard that statement coming up. 
But you see, what would hold that brotherhood together? What would bond it? There is nothing that could bond in the world. Christian brotherly love is held together by the bond of Christ's love, firstly, and by us being one in Christ. In other words, if we're believers, we have been given the new birth and we are in Him. That's what holds us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Nothing superficial. No creed of nations. No creed of the United Nations trying to hold us together either. That cannot work in this world. We are too full of sin. Calvin said it this way, and that's another Calvin, not me. He said, where God is known as a father, there and only there, brotherhood exists. You see, if we know God as our father, you and I sitting here today, only then can we really have a unity in this church. And can we call ourselves brothers and sisters? And can we actually see that in us as we support each other? The last thing he calls us to is to be kind-hearted or compassionate. And that's an affectionate sensitivity to the needs of others. And it's just quite funny to actually look at this because where this is derived from is the word for the internal organs. You see, in the old days, in the apostles' time, the seat of the emotions was seen as the heart, the lungs and the liver. So in other words, they were saying, love each other with your lungs, your heart and your liver, man. In other words, your whole gut, everything. Today we say, love each other from the heart. We've simplified it. But you see, Jesus had that same love. He loved from deep inside of him to those around him. Jesus was moved, says the Bible, at the death of Lazarus. And there's those short two words, Jesus wept. You see, he loved from the heart. He wept over Jerusalem when he knew what was going to happen to Jerusalem, when he knew the sin that was going to come upon him, when he knew that he was going to die on the cross for these people and they didn't realize it. His own rejected him. He wept for Jerusalem and it was from inside of him. Do we have that same kind-heartedness to each other? Does it come out in our actions towards each other? And then the fifth characteristic that the Apostle calls us to this morning is to be humble in spirit. The SV translates that a humble mind. You see, it starts in the mind. Heart, mind and then actions. We are to be humble in spirit. It's an inner attitude of humility and submissiveness to each other. And it's a voluntary submission. You're not being forced to. God is telling you to do it. That's not a force. That is a love statement from Him. He's saying, submit to each other as I have shown you how to submit. You see, it's the opposite of me, myself and I in the church. We so often there. It's what I want. It's my opinions on things. No, He's saying, it's about you. Your needs before mine. How can I serve you? That's what it's about. Are we known in this church, Wanganui's Baptist Church, as a serving church of putting others' needs before our own? Are we known by that? I'm afraid to say yes and no. We have failed, but we have done real well too as a church. You see, what God is calling us here to is to be humble in spirit. And that means that we don't drag about ourselves and our achievements and our own successes but we rejoice with the successes of others around us and then we go to our own back room 
And we thank God there for our successes because He's done it. That is real humility. That is to be humble in spirit. So those are the five characteristics. We are to be harmonious. We are to be sympathetic. We are to be brotherly and sisterly. We are to be kind-hearted and to be humble in spirit. And then he comes to verse 9. And now we're going to look at the Christian's response to hostility. Alright, so all that is now happening. What happens when people in the church come up against me? How do I react to that? Well, God's word is really clear. He says, when you are submitted to Christ first, and then also to each other in this way that we've just described, then when people come up against us hostilely, and that, yes, is going to happen in the church, but also outside of the church, then he says, don't return evil for evil or insult for insult. In other words, he says, don't respond in kind. Whatever they've done to you, I'm going to now do to them. Why does the Apostle say that to us? Because isn't that our natural reaction? It's a gut reaction coming from the heart, the lungs and the liver. If they've done something to me, I'm going to get back at them. And you kind of want to do the same thing. While God says, go against your gut reaction. And we need to really be aware of that. You see, the natural response of human nature is to get back at people. You only need to look at two very little babies playing with toys. It's already there. Watch them. The one will see the other one's playing with a toy, so they'll grab it away. And what will the other one do? You, they can't even speak, man, but what they're saying is like, hmm, give that back, and it's an equal reaction. And suddenly they're at each other. You see, it's in us, right from when we we babies. He says, no, don't return evil for evil or insult for insult, but look at this. Look at the level that God is calling us to. He says, but give a blessing instead. So when people come against us and our gut reaction is, I want to get at them, he says, no, before you get at them, give a blessing to them instead. Wow. He's calling us to perfection here. You see, there are three levels of living today. Listen to this and just classify where you might be at. There's this satanic level where He gives evil for good. So instead of good, Satan only gives evil. Alright? He doesn't do any good. Then there's the human level, where we give good for good. If someone does good to me, then I'll do good for them. If they do evil to me, then I'll retaliate. That's the human level. And then there's the divine level, that God is calling us to hear in this passage, where he says, give Good, when evil has been done against you. Do you see those three progressions? Now, where do we usually, where are we usually at? I find myself usually on that middle level. That is where I am. Especially when I'm driving. You see, Jesus said it like this. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, 38. Look at the standard we call to here. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, um, I just want to put that in here for the teenagers. Don't go home and turn the other cheek all the time to each other. It's going to be one big fight today. All right? 
see what else is God is saying here in verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Alright, teenagers, there's the standard. Be perfect. Your parents would like that too. But your heavenly Father, more importantly, wants that from you as well. That's the standard God calls us to. Can we do that on our own? No, we can't do that on our own at all. And that's the whole thing, you see. When we have God in us, Jesus Christ living in us and us in Him, then He calls us and He enables us to live to that standard. But without Him, we can't. You see, without Him, when someone does evil to us, we will want to get back to them. We will not want to give them a blessing instead. That is the perfect standard we are called to. You see, by acting in this way, evil is not increased but restrained. When we do evil for evil, the vicious cycle is just repeated. And I'm sure you've been part of that. You do this and then they do that and then you do it in return. And so tribes have killed each other completely. To break the vicious chain of evil multiplying, someone must voluntarily endure evil without retaliation. I'm going to say that again. Listen to this. To break the vicious chain of evil multiplying, someone must voluntarily endure evil without retaliation. So you're going to have to suck it up, to put it in colloquial. If you want to see good, then endure evil and don't retaliate. And the Bible calls you to one thing further. It doesn't say just endure it, but bless in return. Give them a blessing from the Lord. Why are we called to this? Because that's what Jesus did. He's our extreme example. You see, he endured extreme evil from his own creations when they crucified him on the cross that he made himself, that wood that he made himself. We heard that this morning. He even took their sin upon himself and thereby broke Satan's evil hold on mankind. And that's why his message is so radical today goes 100% against how we as humans want to react. This must have meant such a lot to the Apostle Peter. But how did Peter react when opposition came against him? Think of uh, Peter. You know, patient Peter, not. All right. How did Peter react when they came to arrest Jesus? He, instead of doing something good, he pulls out his sword and he cuts off a servant's ear. And these words must have really struck home to him later. Do good. Bless instead of doing evil. And so that's why he includes us. You see, Christ brought a blessing on all mankind. We now have a way back to God. So are we now going to live evil lives? No. Let's live lives that show that God has made a way back to him 
by showing people what He's done in us and the change that God has brought about in us. Let's bless them when they want to do evil. And you want to see how people stand back and take note then. Because we expect retaliation as well, don't we? When you... I saw this often at school. When one king, kid donged another kid, to put it in their speak, right? the little kid just wanted to get back at them. But when one didn't do that, they really stood up and took note. Why didn't you hit me? Well, it's because Jesus loves you. And I, how can I hit you? But I hit you, I know. But I'll take that. That really gets the attention. You see, we are called to be radically different. And why are we called to do that? Our motivation, our verse carries on there. For you were called for this very purpose. You see, we were called to be different in this world. God didn't just put us here and say, now wear a label called Christian and then people will know that you're a Christian. No. He's called us to live different lives. Our purpose in this life is to advertise His glory by the way that we live. And that's why when we become believers, I've said it before, He doesn't take us straight to heaven. He leaves us here among the unbelievers to live believing lives, lives that testify of His glory and give evidence of that change that's happened in us. We are called for that purpose, says Scripture. And it doesn't stop there. And this is the good part. That you might inherit a blessing, says our text. You see, we bless others. Why? Because God has already blessed us and is going to continue to bless us into eternity. And so for a little while, can't we bless others when they do wrong against us? We've got so much. God has given us so much. Look at what He's done for us. He drew us to Himself even when we were rebelling against Him. We didn't want to know the name God anywhere. We would curse at that name, some of us. But God took us from that, even when we didn't want to know anything. He did His work of regeneration, of changing in us, even when we were still dead in sin. We couldn't help ourselves. We couldn't do anything about it. But God brought that new life in us. You see the blessing? And then He's daily making us more like His Son. If you look back on this past year, and you evaluate your life by God's Word, do you see the progress in your Christian life? Can you see God's hand in your life, God's hand at work? If you're still the same now as you were on the 1st of January this year, there's something majorly wrong in your life. And God can't be there. And you really need to evaluate that with Him. But if you've seen your spiritual life increasing, you've seen yourself becoming more godly, you've seen your reactions becoming more godly, and you've seen that over your life, then God is at work. Then Praise Him today. And that is a blessing that is given to you. And then the blessings will continue. He is now, where is He now? In heaven, preparing a place for us and preparing to return to come and get believers from this earth to be with Him again forever. You see, we've got continual and continual blessing that's just poured out on us. And so Christ says, I will bless you into eternity. Now you bless others just for a little while on this earth. Can you do that? God's Word calls us to bless in return. And so as we come, and we come to the end of 2010 and we look ahead to 2011, the Apostle Peter is here exhorting us to look at our lives, not just your personal lives, but us as a church too. Look at our lives before God's Word 
and, and ask ourselves, am I measuring up? Are we measuring up to God's standards of perfection? And if not, God's work of grace can still continue to do its work in us. We must be willing for Him to do that. And the Apostle Peter ends this passage by quoting from Psalm 34, which we've read twice already this morning. And he says, I'm saying this to you because God says this to me. And God has said this from ancient times past. You see, this little passage was called, this little passage was called an ancient recipe for a happy life. In ancient documents, this passage, Psalm 34, was called an ancient recipe for a happy life. And so the question is to you and I this morning, if you want to live a happy life for 2011, this is the recipe that God calls us to now. Not any money, not any other way. This is the recipe that God, your designer and my creator, that one he's calling us to. The ancient of days has given us this advice. What is it? And so Peter brings this passage to us. He says, if you would desire life and desire to love and desire to see good days, then, he says, do the following. Now, before I go into this passage, please take note. If you're a believer here today, I'm not preaching works now. I'm not saying if you do the stuff, then you can earn your salvation. No, we already have to be saved. And then you can live this way before the Lord because He's enabling you to. And if you're not a believer here today, it doesn't matter how much you keep the next little recipe now, you cannot live a good life before the Lord because your heart is still wrong before Him. So your first priority for this year is to come before God and to plead for mercy and have your heart changed before Him and then He will help you to live like this. So no, this is not good works. This is called obedient works. This is obedience before the Lord. What is He calling us to? It's so practical, there are no shadows here. It's just black and white. He says, firstly, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. If you want to live a happy life in 2011, keep your tongue from evil. That's a hard one. Even those little evils. And your lips from speaking deceit. Anything which would not be exactly the truth. There's the first one. Second one. Turn away from evil and do good. And that's not just a turning away like this. That is a 180 degrees turning away from evil. And that is, I want to do this. I don't want to live an evil life before the Lord. I am turning away from it. And turning and doing good. God's word doesn't call us to a passive Christian life. It doesn't say, if you don't do evil, then you're A for away. No, it says you need to also do good. You see, there's action involved. Thirdly, he says to us, seek peace and pursue it. That is fantastic. He's put both in. He's saying, look for peace. So in your conversations with each other, look for peace. Brothers and sisters, and I mean actual brothers and sisters in families, in your conversations, in your doing with each other, teenagers, seek peace with each other. Don't always look for the bad in each other. Husband and wife, in your relationships, seek peace. In your relationships with, with people out there and employers, seek peace. With your wider families, as you meet with them and you bump heads with them, seek peace with them because that will speak God's glory and that will give you a happy life. And then he says, he carries on, he says, pursue it, chase after it, put all your energy into it, seek peace. 
pursue it? When you look at your life, are you pursuing peace or are you pursuing all kinds of other things? That's the challenge from God's Word. If you want to be happy, pursue peace. And here's a promise from God. If you live in that way, here's where the happiness comes in. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Now that phrase, his eyes are toward the righteous, that doesn't just mean God sees you. Because God sees everyone, doesn't he? That means God's eyes are fixed on you and he is actively bringing things about in your life. His eyes are on you. That's what it means. His eyes are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. God hears what everyone in this earth is saying, believers and unbelievers. But God's ear is tuned in to the believer's prayer. One who's living an obedient life before him. Because if there's still sin in your life, God doesn't hear your prayer. We saw that last time. He is deaf to that prayer until your life is changed before him. His ear is attended to their prayer. And here's the last bit of this. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You see, the face of the Lord speaks about not just God, but the Trinity. God is actively against those who do evil, those who don't do what He says. He is actively against them. So, to sum up, where are we at this year? If you think of your past year at this church, firstly, maybe there's things you need to sort out with someone else here at this church so that you can have unity and oneness in mind. If you think of your relationships with your husband or your wife or with wider family, maybe there are things there you need to sort out if they're believers. And if they're not believers, are you bringing blessing to them? And then in your own life before the Lord... Is your life as it should be before the Lord as you come to the end of this year? Do you see the progress in your spiritual life? Because if not, I pray that 2011 will not be the same year for you, that God would do a mighty work in you. Because He is coming again. And the question is, are you and I prepared? Or are we going to have a last minute scrabble to get prepared when we see the great tr- when we hear that great trumpet sounding? Is it going to be a last minute dash to quickly get right before the Lord? It's going to be too late. We need to be doing it now. Let's pray together. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of having been able to go through your word this year. And Lord, we've had ups and downs this year as a church. Lord, help us all from the leadership of the church through to every member of this church, which is all of us. Lord, may we evaluate ourselves by your word. And if we do not measure up, may we plead for you to do the work in us so that we can be made to be more like your son as individuals. And then as believers who are right with you, who are living lives right with you, we will then automatically live lives that are right towards each other as well. And that will be a testimony to this community where we are situated. And this church will be known as a church who loves.
A church where the people look out for each other. A church where they take your word seriously and seek to apply it in their lives. And it will speak out and advertise about your glory. That's our prayer, Lord. Lord, I pray for all of us who might go away in this coming holiday period. As we travel, Lord, keep us safe on the roads. But above all, Lord, may everything we do be to your glory. In our interactions with unbelievers, in campgrounds, wherever we might stay, Lord, may it all be to your glory. And when we return, Lord, may we encourage each other once again as we start a new year and help each other to turn our faces to you and put you first in this church, first in our lives, so that you'll be glorified. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.